0: human first everything else after welcome to what's betwixt us stories of working while human i'm lisa mandel what's betwixt us is a series of conversations about empathy at work at work it's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job any job and how empathy isn't just a nice sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. On today's episode of What's Betwixt Us, I chat with Sejal Thakar, an attorney, educator, and TEDx speaker specializing in employment law and human resources training for employers. She's the self-dubbed Chief Civility Officer of Train Extra, where she puts her myriad skills and experiences to use, helping company cultures thrive. Conceived in India and born in Chicago, Sejal's unique experience of straddling two cultures and two worlds ignited her passion for educating others about unconscious bias and microaggressions. We talk about preemptive empowerment of both employers and employees, the importance of sharing your mistakes, and how a culture of respect at a company starts at the top. She says the best defense against future lawsuits is civility. Please enjoy episode 29 The Wisdom of Being Stuck in Between with Sejal Thakar. All right, welcome to another episode of What's Betwixt Us, the podcast about empathy at work for zany.app. And today I have a very, uh, a very exciting guest with me who describes herself as a legal training ninja. Her name is Sejal Thakkar. She is the chief civility officer at Train Extra. She is an attorney, an educator specializing in employment law, human resources training for employers, and uh, apparently a master juggler. Uh, which I'm so excited about. Sajal, welcome to What's Betwixt Us.
1: Thank you so much. Looking forward to our conversation. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, I just love, you know, I watched your TEDx talk, which I do recommend to any listeners, and I I posted it on, on Zany's LinkedIn, but I knew right away that I wanted to talk to you because you speak with such openness and honesty about your own Uh, story about belonging and empathy and why these things are important and how you know bias gets wrapped up in things unconsciously and I would love to hear from you uh, a, a little bit about why like the beginning of your story if you're willing to tell it and how it led you to do the kinds of things that you do today.
1: Sure, sure. So, you know, this goes back to when my, you know, almost back to when I I was in my mother's belly, because my parents are from India. I was actually conceived in India and then born in Chicago. So like way back there because talk about being that marginal person. I was right in the middle of two cultures, Mm -hmm. right from the get-go. My parents moved to Chicago in 74. And, you know, just like most immigrants, you know, they came here, they started working right away. And, and so growing up at home was, was pretty difficult. You know, they barely spoke English. It was a mix of two worlds. So at times I was caught in the middle of the two worlds. You know, at home, I was expected to be that sort of Indian girl with the Indian t- culture, the tradition, the values, the religion, you know, everything, the language. And then, you know, and I loved all of that. And then outside of the house, I was expected to be part of the American culture, which I also loved very much. Mm -hmm. And so reconciling the two cultures was something that I was dealing with from a very young age. And then having to balance that with trying to meet the expectation of my parents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was constantly, there was a lot of tension in the house around culture. And I always kind of felt like I was stuck in between. And Mm -hmm. so you know, it it gave me a lot of good skills, though, and and that's why I go that far back because I was always sort of dealing with that duality and, you know, having to explain to my parents the basics of American life. You know, the food, the clothing, celebrations, the holidays, things like going to prom, dating, and so I was always trying to bridge that communication. You know, with communication and and trying to explain things to them. So that's a lot of what i do right now right um i i 3 years ago i started my company and you know i've got that employment law background and i always found myself rather than being a defense attorney always explaining to people why you know why maybe their reactions their biases their beliefs their opinions were based on their own lived experiences and how somebody else who's gone through something totally different might have a different view or perspective or reaction to it. So, you know, so that's one part of my journey as to why I'm so passionate about educating people and raising awareness on some of these issues like bias, like I did in my TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. And then there's another component of it where, you know, I personally have experienced harassment, discrimination, bullying. Um, I've been on the victim side of that. Uh, and, and, I, and I go into this in, in more detail in my TEDx talk, but I, you know, I, we were the only Indian family in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I, it wasn't, it wasn't fun, right? We, were, we stood out, we were othered right away. And so I dealt with that growing up. So I always had that social justice aspect of me in trying to do what I can to bring equality to the world, and I focused in on the workplace um, because, as an employment lawyer, that's an area that you know we can control, we can change, we can change, you know, empower people so that we can try to reduce civility from happening at work. And so that's why I kind of call myself the chief civility officers because I, I really am working with organizations all over the globe on how do we create better cultures so that everybody can be successful and productive at work and healthy and loyal, right? So that that's a little bit about, and you know, we can get more into the details about sort of what leads me to why I do what I do today.
0: I mean, I, I love this. I love this idea that you actually were in training for what you do from, from the womb and, and what is so compelling and is sort of a through line that I see with a lot of people that I speak to is that what was once your pain point has become your superpower right that yeah. if you hadn't gone through that experience of experience, you know of harassment and bullying you you may not be in the expert niche where you are today so you've actually alchemized it into gold
1: absolutely and and that is that is so powerful that you say that because i just had a conversation with somebody yesterday where i said you know the person wrote me a message afterwards and said that they were in tears as they were watching that uh, TEDx talk, and I said, "You know, can, do you mind sharing with me why?" And he goes, "When I see you in that TEDx talk, I see you, and I can almost get into tears just talking about it right now." <laughs> uh, but he said, "I see you transforming your pain, you know, and and healing, and it's true that that is a." a, a Everything that I've gone through really does underlie what I do today. And, and that's sort of, I stepped into that power last year more than ever. You know, I've always sort of been leading up to this point in my career. Like I slowly into my way, finding, you know, where my, where my sweet spot is. And last year, I mean, I started my business three years ago. So I would say that's where it really, I started kind of stepping into it. But then last year, I really just stepped into my power and said, okay, this is it, you know, this is what I'm here to do. And I really want to, you know, I I have, I believe that we can do better than we are right now with all of my heart. And I'm gonna do what I can to talk about it. So this is why I'm so grateful for you inviting me here so that we can have this conversation and help people see that, you know, it isn't always one dimensional. There's a lot of different ways of looking at things. And so let's just raise awareness and take action, right?
0: yeah absolutely and i would love to i would love to go into the into the details of that like if you would if you would talk about your company a little bit and more of the you know the specific tools that that you bring to other organizations to to sort of enlighten them and bring awareness to them
1: absolutely so you know what's interesting about sort of my journey is i was on the victim side of bias right and so one would have expected that I would have then become an attorney who would then represent people who were victimized, right? That, that would be what I think most people, if we took a poll, most people would say, yeah, that makes sense. You want to represent the people that have gone through what you've gone through. I actually ended up doing the opposite. I ended up being a defense attorney. So I was representing managers and leaders mm-hmm. in cases that specifically dealt with harassment discrimination so I was on the other side of the fence on 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 my from a legal standpoint and so but what's interesting about that and and this is the paradox part of my talk is you know I because I grew up here and my parents didn't speak a lot of English and this was back in the early 80s there was no support then you know, there was nobody at school you can go to, a therapist, a counselor, a teacher. If anything, the education perpetuated the racism that I was dealing with, right? And so it was it was hard because there was no support. And I still feel like that's a huge problem we're grappling with right now for children of immigrants or marginalized groups, like for children. There's just not a lot of support there when you're dealing with these things, right? And so when I became an attorney and now I was representing the people that were being accused of doing bad behavior. And so I had to put into place strategies to make sure that I stay neutral and that I check my own biases at the door. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that this was a normal thing to have bias. It's normal. We all do it. It's just the way that our brain works. And so I was able to put into place strategies, the ones I, you know, specifically the ones that I talked about in my TEDx talk. So I put into place these strategies And then what started to happen was when my son was born eight years ago, I decided, you know what? I don't want to be a defense attorney anymore. I really want to be home with my son. And so I left uh, defense work and and I left this law firm I was working at and I started my own thing at home. And around that time, I started doing more training. I started teaching at some universities. I started training more on anti-harassment, anti-discrimination. I started dabbling into diversity inclusion work. And really started to learn a lot more about unconscious bias and how it works and started training on that area because it was just a passion area for me. So then what I started to learn in this process was, wow, and especially this last year, but even before last year, that people had that negative connotation to that word bias, right? So Mm -hmm. I started making tweaks to my trainings, my workshops to get people to really understand that it's it's something that we need to deal with. So I started creating these workshops. And so, you know, like I said, I started my company three years ago. And what I've done, um, you know, at the beginning, I was doing some workplace investigations, but right now I'm, I'm 100% focused in on providing customized, tailored workshops to organizations. And I do everything virtually now um, i had to get set up last year to do virtual training and so i'm all over the globe now doing trainings a lot of trainings on civility in the workplace because i saw a lot of incivility in the workplace and so i really want to help set up workplace cultures with training on how you know how to respond to these situations that are going on at work early early on in a proactive way rather than waiting for it to hit the courtroom or or be something that's dealt with after a complaint is filed Mm -hmm. so civility in the workplace is a workshop that i do that really is just a great foundational course for both empowering employers and employees because you know it's not just good enough to just have the leadership trained everybody needs to be trained and we need to really we, re- we really are doing the opposite in a lot of different things that we've been doing for a long time. We really need to look at it from the exact opposite approach. But so I do stability. I do a lot of diversity and inclusion trainings, because obviously for everything we've been talking about, it's a huge area that I'm passionate about. And I do a lot of training on unconscious bias and microaggressions, which is such an important area because microaggressions come from your unconscious bias. And I'll tell you what, as an attorney, when I, when I look back on a lot of the cases I litigated and I worked on, I feel like those were microaggressions that were happening in those cases. And had we intervened with proper training or counseling that we could have, we could have you know, avoided the lawsuit. So yeah. it's really important to have people understand and, and really to empower people You know, it's not one of those things where I think the culture now is, you know, punt everything, to HR or the lawyers, and then they'll deal with it. No, we want each employee to realize that they're responsible and accountable for their own actions and behaviors, but also to, you know, respond um, if something else is going on in the workplace.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, I just had this kind of light bulb go on over my head when you talked about, you know, trying to address some of these issues before they get out before they become a problem, which is almost like, you know, in, in medicine, uh, when you go to see a doctor and they give you, you know, preemptive steps to take, like to, to, to be healthy, to prevent being sick.
1: It's so, that's it. It's exactly the same scenario. And, and so there's plenty of research out there, right. That talks about, you know, if you want to look at, you know, what is the strongest predictor you know, about whether there's going to be incivility or harassment going on in an organization. And there's a direct correlation to the strongest predictor is that the degree to which the company's climate communicates that it's going to allow or it's going to tolerate this behavior, right? So the best thing, and I and I, I kind of joke around, I mean not joke, but this is my tagline is that the best defense against future lawsuits is civility, right? So you want to just try to prevent as many of these things from happening in the first place, proactively, as opposed to being reactive right. and really call for a change within the culture of the organization. And so, you know, when I, when I talk about instability, it, it's, it's, it's a whole range of behaviors. And, and right now, if you look at a lot of companies, I mean, they're training you on the mandatory compliance, legal training, you know, once a year, mm-hmm. which just to meet their legal compliance trainings, We've seen a lot of employers now are doing you know, respect in the workplace training, mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion training, but really you need to look at it from a comprehensive approach about educating people on what is incivility. So it's, it's that whole range of behaviors, somebody being rude, unprofessional, microaggressions, mm-hmm. abusive kind of bullying, discrimination. So we want to tell people, you know what, when you see someone being rude or insensitive, or engaging in a microaggression, here's how you react, here's what you say, here's how you deal with it one-on-one. We've never told employees that before. Most of the time before we've been telling them, tell your supervisor or report it to somebody. And now we're saying, no, actually, you know, these issues should be addressed one-on-one, you know, depending on the facts, right? But most of these situations, especially when when they're on the other end of the spectrum, they can be resolved by the employees themselves mm-hmm. if they know how, and if there's a culture of psychological safety, right? Mm-hmm. So if people feel like they can have those conversations without being fired or some kind of retaliation, then these issues don't have to get to that other side of the spectrum. That's really what we wanna be focusing in on.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, the issue of psychological safety has just exploded recently. And of course, um, you know, Zany, uh, the, the company who, I work for is all about building that psychological safety preemptively by sparking conversations, you know, weekly conversations about all kinds of, all kinds of things that are, you know, may or may not be work related so that people can get to know each other as human beings and not just, you know, cogs in a machine. And I think that, I think this is so wonderful that you talk about empowering the employees themselves rather than you know submitting to the the old-fashioned way of you know the hierarchy of going up the chain of command but rather you know we are all complete human beings who are totally capable of communicating our feelings mm-hmm. and capable of the mindfulness required to pause before we have a reaction and a response and really think about what is my reaction and response and I I just think it's beautiful I think that it that it makes the workplace more of a collaborative space and less of a like pyramid you know where the yeah where all of the information gets handed down and down and down and down the line no like it can start with the people at the base of the pyramid
1: Uh, it has to It really, I believe it has to, because if people don't, you know, it's like the saddest thing to me, honestly, when I, when I go do my trainings, well, now I'm doing it virtually, but when I was doing the in-person trainings and I would see two people that are like, you know, have been working together for several years and they don't know the basic information about each other. Like, how do you expect these people to feel like they're part of a team, that they're going to have each other's backs, that they're going to be loyal that they're going to, you know, really do it because they have that shared common goal. If they don't know each other, that's just, it's impossible Mm -hmm. to achieve that kind of safety that you need. Because, you know, what's scary is that three out of four people in the workplace don't report harassment that's going on to them. So that means they're dealing three out of four, that's a huge number, 75%. That hurts everybody. Yeah, that hurts the employer because the employer can't do anything about it until they know about it. Right. So they're not able to protect or create that safety net. And then employees are putting up with that behavior. And we all know, you know, that if we don't address that behavior again proactively, that that behavior is going to continue and continue to fester until it turns into illegal behavior. And so the only way to reverse that whole situation is to empower. And I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing. More people need to learn those skills that you're teaching and talking about and educating on. So I'm so like grateful that you're doing this work, but really it's like you're saying, the goal is to disrupt that progression so -hmm. that people understand, first of all, how to put each other, I mean, from a very simple perspective. The first thing is how do we put each other on notice? that what somebody else is doing is making us feel uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Until now, I feel like most people have just either put up with it, they've kind of brushed it under the carpet, thinking it's going to go away. We all know it doesn't. You know, they've, or maybe they've complained and then the institution has betrayed them. We need to, we need to undo all of that. And the first step is teaching people, you know, how to, if somebody makes you feel uncomfortable, if intention isn't relevant, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter if somebody intended to hurt you or right. not at this stage, it's really about how it's making you feel. Because here's the thing, if, if, if somebody was making me feel uncomfortable and I told them about it, if they didn't intend to, most people are gonna stop that behavior. Right. You're not trying to make somebody feel uncomfortable, right? So, but the thing is, we haven't empowered our employees to do that. So that, that we haven't dealt with the problem yet until we start empowering people to say in a respectful, professional way here's how you let that person know you focus in on the behavior Mm -hmm. that made you feel uncomfortable it's not about judgment it's not about shame it's literally to only let the person know that the behavior that they engaged in somehow made you feel uncomfortable because of your lived experience and that's it that's the goal Mm -hmm. once that happens now that other person has a choice to make they either change their behavior Again, intention doesn't matter. So the whole, I didn't intend to, or I was joking or they're being, that's not even part of the conversation anymore. It's just about, we want, we're not going to allow certain behaviors to happen because they're harmful to all of us, Mm -hmm. right? So now that person if it's not, if they they get all, and it could happen, right? Sometimes people get defensive when we let them know that they're hurting our feelings or they're making us feel bad, Um, especially if they didn't intend to. People tend to get defensive and you know all of this. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? So, but then once that happens, if they continue, now the organization needs to do something about it, right? Right now they need to address that situation. Most of the time though, and research supports it, that behavior is going to stop. Because, you know, and we've both seen it, right? As an attorney, I had so many people tell me, Sejal, I wish I would have known. I would have never done that. I would have right. never said that, right? So a lot of times people just don't know. And that's what I saw over and over again as an attorney. And I'm like, I got to start educating people about this.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, because, I mean, it, it is, I think a lot of it, like the defensiveness will come up because people don't want to be seen as a bad person. And it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a more it's a more practiced posture to take to be humble in that moment and I think it's a muscle that can get worked out like it, it actually reminds me so funny because this is so unrelated but when I was an acting conservatory you know we would go up and we would do a scene and it was always very you know emotional and and then afterward uh, our acting teacher would sometimes give you know feedback you know cr- criticism and and the the first thing that would happen is that you know when you're up on stage and you're in this flustered place you 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 shoot back defensively like oh but i was trying to do this but i was trying to do this and like disclaim it and that never that never got anywhere good it just got deeper into an argument and so we learned in that moment you know here's an expert an expert on their experience telling you about their experience can you take it in and humbly apologize, you know, and, and, and humbly recognize maybe your ignorance in that moment. And I think that that's something that does require practice. But once you get in the habit of it, it just feels so much better, you know, rather than carrying around, uh, grudges or, or, or arguments to, to make the other person feel better, be more important than for you to be right in that moment.
1: It it is liberating it is seriously liberating once you start doing that, right? And you start, as soon as you recognize you're getting defensive, if you if you just, a simple thing is just to observe that you felt that, mm-hmm. and then to realize, oh, I'm getting defensive again, so this is a trigger, right? And, and once you start doing that, you become more conscious of these thoughts that you're having. Right. And that, I mean, literally, that's what led to that TEDx talk, because I, when I started doing the workshops, I noticed that when I said the word bias, people would disconnect. A lot of the people I started seeing their body languages, their facial features start gesture. you know, immediately the minute, just the word itself has a negative, such an, especially this last year, right? Of course, the word bias has been like, become this negative judgments about shaming, canceling, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what I started doing, I made a simple tweak to my workshops where I started replacing the word bias And started calling it unconscious beliefs that was it the only thing i did everything else was the same and now i started noticing that people were paying attention right to the material and they were learning about how it's just a normal functioning of our brain and how it controls almost every decision we make we are literally on autopilot all day long and here we are thinking we're being intentional and the whole scary part is is that these unconscious beliefs that we have are oftentimes the exact opposite of what our current belief system is. Right. And that's the scary part. Right. That that when you start noticing that and you're you get to that place and, and and it takes practice, right? It's not like a one-time thing and we're all wired differently and we've all been through different lived experiences. So each of our work has to happen individually. There is no, you know, I don't care how great of a facilitator I am. I, I can't say that you come to my training and you're gonna know it all. That's not how this works. This is a right. life long process. I always tell people just like, I'm sure you do the same thing is, we are going to start the conversation here. And then you have to continue to practice and practice. And, and because some of these biases are formed or beliefs are formed so long ago, and they're lodged in our head that it sometimes it takes more work and extra practice. But again, it's all about educating people on that. And so to, to and, and what you were saying is to be humble and know that we're gonna make mistakes we're going to fumble along the way. And it's not about who's right or wrong. It's, it's literally about just accepting somebody else's lived experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that it has so much to, I mean, I'm curious about your experience, what it's been over the past year, seeing the shifts, because, you know, not only has work culture been forced to change dramatically, but then you know, culturally, what's been going on in terms of people becoming more educated about, you know, the, the racism that they carry inside of them that they don't know about, and all of this stuff bubbling to the surface, it, it's, it all seems related to what's happening in, in companies. And I wonder if you've noticed a shift or a difference, or if speed has picked up in terms of this kind of education, just within the past year, because of what we've gone through with the pandemic.
1: Oh, my God, this This past year has been, it, I mean, I really have seen so much, right? I mean, starting with COVID, right away, we started seeing the Asian hate stuff start to happen, the incidents started to happen. And then we're dealing with the pandemic that we weren't prepared to deal with, right? And so the fear and you know panic that was happening all in a pretty short period of time gave rise to a lot of bias, right, in everybody. And then with COVID and, you know, the prior administration didn't help with making those, you know, China-related comments, right? So Mm -hmm. all of that led to more prejudice, more racism, and increase in bias. And that spilled all over into the workplace, right? So then employers couldn't ignore those issues anymore. And, And of course, this isn't the first time that we've seen you know, employers having to deal with, we've, we've seen other groups being targeted, right? Because of their gender, their race, their culture, their religion, sexual orientation. So, but this was a different because now they were on top of that, they were dealing with the global pandemic and the whole remote working shift, right? To remote work. And so the laws were constantly changing about that. And they were trying to figure out how do we even maintain workplace culture when people are working behind a computer screen from home. So they were dealing with that on top of that. And then we add on the civil rights movement that started after the Floyd incident last year. So organizations in a very short period of time had to really come together and figure out a strategy to get through it. And so I've seen, I'll be honest with you, and I, I'm in my own bubble. So what I say now has to do with what I'm experiencing, right? Because I can't speak for what's going on everywhere, but just from what I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of positive things happening in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing conversations, real conversations about these tough issues and they need to happen so we can move past them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, And we have a lot of those conversations that need to happen, you know? And so it's not gonna happen in one day, it's a process. But I'm seeing, you know, I I was, I was joking about this the other day. I don't even feel like an attorney anymore. I feel like a therapist, right? I just just listening to it. And people just want to talk about these issues that have been bottled up for so long. So the stuff like you're talking about empathy and teaching people how to have empathy or how to have, you know, difficult conversations or what to do when, you're feeling that defensiveness come up or someone says the word white supremacy and you, you get your hair stands up. How do you process that? And we don't want to leave anybody behind. So there's conversations that need to happen within ourselves, with each other, with people that are different than us. And so this is just the process. But I'm seeing organizations actually put the resources behind it you know, and, and, and not to say they're going to do things, they're actually putting the resources behind it. I'm seeing organizations look at it more from a holistic standpoint, rather than let's just do this one piece to check a box. And then this other one, I'm seeing them actually create comprehensive strategic plans mm-hmm. to make sure that these issues like empathy and conflict resolution and how to have all of these, you know, what the soft skills as they call it are being addressed and not just for the leadership themselves, to everybody. And that's a little bit on the slower side. We need to pick that up a little bit more and, and get everybody properly educated and trained on these issues so we can move quicker a little bit. But, And then the other piece that I really see a lot going on in organizations too is, you know, they're, they're changing their policies, which is really good, going from more of the respect in the workplace, civility policies versus just, you know, you belong to these protected categories. And so, you know, you're protected and everybody else isn't, mm-hmm. which never worked anyway. So, so lots of good things
0: going on. Yeah, I think so too. And I, so I uh, sat in on the, the blue, Bloom, the Bloomberg live work shifting summit a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there was a woman, uh, a founder and CEO of this company, modern health, this woman, Allison Watson and modern health is like technology for companies to create mental health plans for individuals. And, you know, mm-hmm. like proactive ways to build resilience uh, through challenges. And mm. I wonder if you've seen, if you've seen a lot of that in place and whether you've seen people who, who would normally, or who would in previous times stay in a less than ideal work situation, feel empowered to leave because they're, because their companies aren't, you know, upholding the standards that make them feel safe.
1: Absolutely. And, and we're going to see more of that. I mean, that is, that, that is actually something that we should just get ready for and plan ahead for, that we're gonna see more and more people leaving organizations, it's already happening. And not only are they walking out the door because they're, they're not gonna tolerate incivility in the workplace anymore, but then they're going public with it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the base camp situation, right? And so that's just, this is the beginning of that whole era of people just openly sharing, what's going on in their workplace culture. So if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, the diversity, the case for inclusion, the case for empathy, the case for, if nothing else matters, do it because your company's reputation can be gone in, in a heartbeat and yep. in, in over the internet. So, but yes, absolutely. And it should, right? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of what I'm seeing too, and in, in just what I'm reading about and stuff is, Something that we've already, what we've always known is that the culture of respect of the company, we know that it starts at the top. If you don't have the leadership of buy-in and commitment, right, that's you, you can't get to a place of psychological safety. So, so ultimately the managers at the top, you know, if there's poor management, there's a poor culture. And so you really need to take a long, hard look at your organization. So what I'm seeing a lot of is leaders having to come to terms with their leadership teams, right? And making sure that the people, and I'm not just talking at the top, I'm talking about every layer of the organization to figure out, do we have good leaders that are acting and committed to our organization's core values? Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing a lot of that going on because the flip side of that is if you don't, Right? You can't get to a psychologically safe place. So let's say, for example, you have an employee who sees a leader that's out there talking about positive workplace culture, right? If they see that leader consistently following that words and you know, not, not over or underreacting, reacting, but there's, they're doing the right thing, then this is gonna lead to greater trust, confidence, and that person's gonna feel safe to voice their concerns, to voice their perspectives, to voice their opinions mm-hmm. but if you've got now the opposite where someone's out there talking about what you know raving about what how, how they feel about having a positive culture but then their actions don't line up with it so they don't have the proper resources behind it they're not have it they don't have a strategy in place to address you know workplace culture like dignity and respect or civility then people are going to perceive that person as being not authentic right not genuine and so when they see this contradiction happening it, it doesn't lead to, it takes a lot longer if you're ever gonna to get to trust, but it leads to mistrust. And employees are gonna feel psychologically safe and then they're gonna get emotionally taxed. Then their production is gonna suffer. Then they're, um, you know, they're not gonna meet their goals and their productivity is gonna go down the drain. Pretty soon they're gonna take more time off work and then they're gonna leave at some point, right? So we really have to make psychological safety and empowering our people with the skills like empathy and you know how to, all of these skills we need to do that proactively and i think that needs to be the first priority because you know and, and and of course you need to make sure you have representation too right at all levels but i think those are the two areas that organizations should be spending their time on otherwise we're going to see people walking out the door left and right especially with the you know the millennials are coming in right i mean i think we've got the older generation that's in these leadership positions and you've got all a huge influx of the younger generations coming into the workforce. It's just not going to work and they're not going to put up with it. Right. Yeah, that's
0: that's right. And I think that the younger generation, I mean, not only the millennials, but also Gen Z have -hmm. been, you know, raised in the, like immersed in this experience of like the importance of listening and the importance of therapy and the importance of, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And so, you know, as they become the majority, it's going to topple these old ways of being. And-
1: exactly, exactly. And, and, and also just, you know, what you, it's, we're, they're predicting that five generations are gonna be working together in a collaborative environment. Wow. So when you've got five different generations working together, they need to know how to get along. They yes. need to know how to gain, understand each other's perspectives in order to be successful, otherwise you're not going to make it, right? And then that doesn't even add on the components of globalization, right? In in the in the last year, I mean, we, I just did a training in India a couple weeks ago, right? So we are we are doing businesses in other countries with other cultures, other religions. That that's going to put a lot of you know that itself is another reason why organizations really need to teach their people like cultural competence and humility and things that maybe haven't been a focus before because you, didn't, you weren't dealing with that many people. Now you, most people are and diversity is here. I mean, I just did a, I, was, I did a seven week course by University of South Florida. It's a diversity and inclusion certificate course. And so I just watched the last episode or the last session of it yesterday, and they were showing statistics that I didn't even know about, but about how the breakdown of the diversity that's coming into the workforce, and you've got a huge spending power in that population, in that diversity. And so if you're not bringing those people in and supporting them, a lot of them are not college educated, so. You got to look at how you're going to bring this talent in so that you can cater and have that representation, but also how do you support these people that maybe haven't, are not college graduated, are not, haven't had those resources. So how we support these employees has to be looked at as well, right? So there's a lot that needs to happen.
0: But I think it's, it seems to be happening on a, on a faster course than it would have if it hadn't been for the pandemic. It really seems like everything has just moved forward as it would have moved forward, but like exponentially more quickly. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. This lat 2020, you know, nobody ever wants to repeat it. <laughs> Even twenty. Yeah. 20- In 2021, I'm going to include 2021 in there too now. Yeah, yeah. So, but we would never want to repeat it, but I believe it's exactly what you said. It has forced us into high speed gears. Mm Then we, you know, and we might not even reap the benefits of it in our lifetime, the way that we vision it, but it will for the future generations. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, because I mean, you've pretty much answered all of my questions, but I, w- I wanted to ask you about maybe a personal moment that you've witnessed of empathy and civility, sort of like giving somebody an aha moment, because I think that, that is, those are the most inspiring moments when you see somebody make a 180 degree turn because they suddenly understand. Do you, can you think of an example of that either with someone that you've worked with or even with yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see those moments all the time, right? Because this is the work that I'm doing. And in my workshops, I I see things happening. Each one of us, right, we've gone through so much in our lives. And regardless of, you know, your upbringing, your culture, we've all have our stories. And so, you know, like last week, I was part of this um, conversation. And it was actually not last week. It was two weeks ago. And, and the name of the group that I'm, I was doing this panel discussion for is called Privilege Against Racism. And I was doing a topic and the name of the event was White People, We Need to Talk, right? So it's a group that was created specifically to educate white people on how to become better allies. That is that sole purpose. And how do we become better allies and how do we support Black people? right? And that was really the mission of this group. And so somehow I finagled my way into this group because I'm obviously not white. And I'm like, I want to educate. So I'm going to just throw myself into this group. (laughs) And they Uh, were like, okay, cool. Come on in. And so I was hosting this event and I was talking to another colleague of mine, Mindy Galati. She's an attorney. She's a former prosecutor. She's phenomenal. And she's doing a lot of advocating for Black Lives Matter. And so in that in this meeting she made a statement, you know, she made a comment and she gave her background and she talked about it and she made this one comment and an, a participant that was in the session took that comment, perceived that comment to it made him feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and he felt like he didn't want to stay in the rest of the session mm-hmm. and he left. And you know, he he just wrote me an he, he just wrote me a message. so He didn't say anything during the session or anything like that but later on he sent me an email saying that what the comment rubbed him the wrong way and he explained why and so at that moment I got defensive you know when I read initially I got defensive when I read the email because I, I didn't even you know I I was like what how you know and so initially I felt that and so my rule now is to give myself a timeout when I'm feeling these reactions right so I, I gave myself a 24 hour timeout, but I came back and reread his email and really kind of put myself into his shoes to see what he was feeling and why he was feeling the way he did. And I understood, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, his, his perspective on it. And so it took me a while to draft an email back to him mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure I let him know that I was there for him and I was there to support him and in whatever way I could, but also to, to make sure that he understood that the door was open for him to be able to talk to Mindy if he wanted to, to understand and, and, and go down this path, right? But I wanted to present him with both opportunities, but I wasn't taking anybody's side on the issue. Right. And, and it was fine. I wrote an email and it took me some time. It literally, I had, to, I had read, wrote the email and I had to walk away, you know, I had to give it some time and, and I wrote back and, and it was just a, such a beautiful um, exchange that happened. And we were able to just resolve it in just a beautiful way, you know, Mm of humanity and just understanding. And, and so it isn't easy work. And, but, but the whole thing about putting myself in his shoes and, and taking in what he was saying and taking my own defensiveness, my own ego, my own issues out of it, you know, that takes work. Yeah. So this isn't, this is not easy work and, and, you know, and I'm able to, And I'm not, you know, I, I, since I do this work, I know the skills, right? So imagine for people that have never done this type of work before, it's gonna take some time, right? And so I always tell people, let's show each other some grace right now because we have to kind of meet people where they are and not just say, oh, well, we, you know, because of whatever, you know, has happened, you need to be here. It's just not gonna work that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly, exactly. And I love that you, I love that you stepped up and told me about this moment of your own, you know, defensiveness and, and that, that is mindfulness and action, taking that pause, walking away for 24 hours, knowing that it's more important to, you know, to compose yourself and put yourself in the other person's shoes than it is to immediately snap Um, back with, you know, uh, whatever the first response is to come to mind. I just think that's huge. I think that is huge. And I I I also feel pretty optimistic that these kinds of behaviors are are spreading far and wide. That it used to just be you know confined to small circles of hippies talking about mindfulness, and now it's <laughs> really on the world stage. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and and the good news is is that you know I think people are are picking a side you know they're saying they I think more people are making the decision to do the work which is where we want to get people right just make the decision to do the work then right. we can figure out the plan um, that that's kind of where i'm at that's where i'm directing my efforts is to just try to get people to move in this direction and then we can work from there right so right. it's and and some people are not choosing to do that right there's they're wanting to say they're wanting to go back you know they want to go back to the normal right and so those people it's very clear who those people are right and so now the question is how do we deal with that those people so there needs to be you know equal amount of people on the on trying to get people to that side but there also needs to be a lot of us that are also remembering that there are some people that are not coming on board to do the work and and how do we help them or how do we get them to how do we motivate them how do we engage them to get them on the side because As positive as I am, I'm also a firm believer in the fact that we need all of us to be doing this work for it to work, for it to work the way we would like to work. It's never going to be, you know, for it to work, meaning there's still going to be issues. There's still going to be all that, but we can actually create a positive place, right? A positive community, positive culture where we can be collaborative and supportive of one another. And so that's really, that's really where we want to try to get to. So yeah, the more conversations like the one you and I are having right now, and the more that we share about our own, how our own journeys, mm-hmm. and that's literally what I do, is I'm just talking about my journey, what I'm doing, and I'm encouraging other people, you know, is, if for the people that are willing to do their work, right, and they have decided to do the work, I, my advice to them is just share what you're learning as you're going on this journey, share your learnings, because most people haven't gone through this journey, I mean, I hadn't gone through this journey the way I have in the last year either.
0: Right. You know, and I've
1: gone through a lot before that, but I've learned so much this last year. Oh, my God. I was I was actually at the very beginning when I started learning. I was like, how oh, did I not know this? Yeah. Like, and so most people, it doesn't matter if you've been an expert in this area or not. We're all learning. So share your mistakes. Share how it's tough, how it's challenging. Share the benefits. Oh, my God. I saw a positive impact. We resolved conflict in a bit you know share share those things so we can learn from each other right and and, and that will help too in expedite in the process
0: absolutely i mean you're completely speaking my language and you know the reason why i got into podcasting in the first place even before this podcast when i was doing a podcast about uh childhood i would always begin by sharing you know my own personal experiences of like the the, the trials and tribulations of of the awkwardness of youth and and it was by me opening that door to and, and sharing what I had gone through and taking the shame off of it that other people felt permission to go through that door as well. And I and so I think that leading by example is really the best. It's the best way. It's it's the best advertisement for healing the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and, and also the other part of that too is is that it it as 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 not only as people heal on their own but you're also healing too, right? So somebody asked me the other day about, you know, wow, that's such a big step that you did that talk because now you're going to have to talk about that all the time. And doesn't that trigger you or, or relive the trauma? And I go, sometimes it does, you know, sometimes it does. Sometimes it brings back memories that I had forgotten about, you know, that I had buried deep or I, for, mm-hmm. you know, just everything kind of starts to blur together. Right. And sometimes those memories come up and I do get emotional about it, but I'm also healing in the process. Right. Okay. I'm, and I'm also realizing that you know, we've all been there in some way or another. My story and, and what I went through is different because it's my own personal story. But when I when I start doing the work of listening to other people and their stories, I realize, wow, we've all got such unique stories, and people have gone through some pretty insane stuff. Yeah. And when you start to see it from that perspective, you realize how much more connected we are, interconnected, we are rather than how different we are. And that's the that's the beautiful part of this journey is that you realize, wow, okay. So yeah, our color of our skin's different or maybe my I, I eat more Indian food at home, but guess what? we we're going through some stuff together. This is life, right? So. Exactly.
0: Exactly. There's nothing more bonding than sharing about common traumas, honestly. And Again. that also goes back to turning turning the pain into something useful, turning the pain into gold. So Yeah, everything you said, well said. At the end of all of these episodes, I like to ask guests uh, a question that comes out of the zany database. So it's completely unrelated and it's just for fun. And so the question that I'm going to ask you, Sejal, is what is a creative activity you've always wanted to try but never have?
1: But never have. Creative, okay. So does playing a musical instrument count? Of course. So I've always wanted to play the guitar. And that's that's been something that I've always said I was going to do. Um, And so I would love to do that. I I never played the piano. And my son has had a piano sitting upstairs for like, four years now. And he's finally starting to play with it. And so the other day, I went up there and I said, you know what, I'm going to start just playing the piano and I was like I'm gonna learn how to play the piano so that's happening but the guitar hasn't happened yet
0: <laughs> ah that's amazing though the guitar is not far
1: behind yes I I've always thought like wow if I could play one musical instrument it would be the guitar I just I don't know why I, I love live music yeah I love people you know so so let's see well I'm gonna put the intention out there on this podcast call right now and say maybe <laughs> by next year I'll pick a, I'll get it myself a guitar we're gonna set a one-year goal <laughs>
0: good I'll hold space for that goal. I've always wanted to play the drums. I, uh, I think that seems super empowering, but it it's a loud activity to do in a city. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right.
1: Are you, are you setting a one year goal for yourself too? Then
0: I have too many other one year goals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to publish a book in the next year, so let me get let me get that going first. All right. We'll oh. give you a. <laughs> Can you, uh, where can people find you and learn more about you and your company?
1: Sure. So LinkedIn is the only social media that I'm really on. So if you're on LinkedIn, follow me on there, connect with me on there. I, I, I always post really, really good resources. Like I've made it my mission to find Factual and helpful information on, on all the topics that you and I spoke about today. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn would be great, and then the other space would be my company website. So the name of my company is Train Extra. So it's a www.trainxtra.com. com, and there's no e in the extra.
0: Great. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I love talking to you. Please keep up the good work and. Thank you so much for, uh, for, talk, for talking with me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great conversation.
0: Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to episode 29 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. You can find out more about Sejal and watch her TEDx talk on LinkedIn. To learn more about Train Extra, visit trainextra.com. That's T-R-A-I-N-X-T-R-A.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at ZANIE.APP. Human first, everything else after. Human first,
1: everything else after.